Luke 23:32 this morning. Jesus is on his way to the cross. We're kind of taking this story in smaller pieces. Now, I think all of us have had events where the Lord opened our eyes to spiritual things. And the question is, how did we respond to them, those events, throughout our lives? I remember my journey as I was coming to the Lord. In December of 1971, I went into a phone booth. Phone booths. Soon our young people won't even know what phone booths are. There were phone booths back then. (laughs) And in the phone booth I found a gospel track tucked underneath the phone. And I picked it up and on the back was an address of the church who one of the folks had put it there. And the service times. How would I respond to that track I found? I remember in the middle of Bible school... It had been a difficult year and I was taking a few weeks off during the summertime and I read a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Deeply touched my heart. Would that encourage me to go back to Fresno and finish what I had started at Bible school? Later on that year in a Christian bookstore, I came across a book, The Coming Prince, was the name of the book that answered a critical question with a major problem that I was having with the scriptures. Would that book help me in my wavering newfound faith? Last week, we looked at some people who interacted with Jesus as he made his way towards the cross. Do you remember the story? Pilate, at first, couldn't be bothered with this Jesus stuff. Oh, please don't bother me. Go away, was his attitude. Then we found out that Herod, Antipas, he just wanted to see a sign. He wanted to be entertained. Show me something, Jesus. Jesus didn't let him down. Second time Pilate interviewed Jesus, He was overwhelmed by his peer pressure and gave in to condemning Jesus. Simon of Cyrene was in the wrong place at the wrong time and he was just inconvenienced by Jesus and his cross. And then we have the ladies who were weeping for Jesus, but they missed the implications of what the cross of Christ meant for them. That was last week. This week, in our passage, we find that there were others whose response to Jesus and the cross was much more positive. Now, as we go through this section, did they all immediately become believers? No, 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 no. But they kind of turned a corner they kind of turned a corner and they began to draw near to the Lord. Now in James chapter 4 verse 8, the Bible promises that if you'll draw near to me, says the Lord, I will draw near to you. These folks in our passage 
will illustrate how they made a critical choice and began to draw near to the Lord. Some of them will not know how it ended, but certainly they had an opportunity and they began to turn towards Jesus. Perhaps this morning, this passage will speak to you. It is spoken to me. Let's take a look. Verses 30 through 32 through 41 is our first section. Jesus is on the way to the cross. And Luke tells us in verse 32, two others who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place called the skull, they were crucified. They crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this Christ of God is the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now, there was also an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly. For we are receiving what we deserve from our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Verses 32 through 41 show us there was one who recognized his own sinfulness. There was one who recognized his own sinfulness. Now his partner and the rest were joining in in jeering and hurling abuse at Jesus. Notice what they are saying. He saved others, let him save himself. The rulers were yelling. Soldiers were mocking him and coming up to him, saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And even this other criminal was saying, are you the Christ? Save yourself and not us. He, however, in light of Jesus' sinlessness, recognized his own sin. Others were being self-righteous and casting remarks at Jesus and hurling abuse at him. But he saw his own failures and shortcomings in light of the perfection of Jesus. Now, nothing really can begin to happen until this takes place in our lives. We must recognize our own sinfulness In light of Christ's sinlessness. If we deny that we have, that we're sinners, we make excuses, uh, we point out the errors of our neighbors, who's obviously much bigger sinner than we are, if we say, well, I'm only human, we are heading in the wrong direction. First John tells us, if we say that we have not sinned or we do not sin, 
We make God a liar. The truth is not in us. And we deceive ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 tells us the truth about ourselves before we come to know Christ. It says we are what? Dead in sin and trespasses. That's what it tells us. That's where we were before we came to know Christ. Dead in sin and trespasses. Separated from God. And if we attempt somehow to justify ourselves, we're missing the truth about who we are, and more important, how sinless was Christ. If you remember, John the Baptist, a precursor to Jesus, the last Old Testament prophet, had said before Jesus came on the scene that he he was calling people to do what? To repent of their sins and be what? And be baptized. Jesus comes along and he says... The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's time to repent of your sins. Why is that such an important issue? Because nothing happens. Nothing happens until we recognize the fact of our own sinfulness. That takes place even before we're Christians. And it must take place throughout our Christian life. I have some pretty good days. You know, I I do pretty good. I do. Sunday morning is one of my best days of the week. It is. I get up early. I'm praying. I'm going over my message. I get here around 7.30. I pray with the pastors, the ushers, the worship team. Um... If I give a good message that I sense encourages your hearts, I go home and I preach two messages. So I get home about 1.30 sometimes and have a, a light lunch and then maybe a little nap on the couch. But you know what? Even then, my friend, I'm dogged by my own sinfulness. My friend, my friend. And if that's true of you, of me, it is also true of who? You. It is true of you. You make no progress, either beginning with the Lord or progressively through your life until you recognize your own sinfulness. And you come to terms with it. Just like he did. Nothing happens. Nothing happens until that takes place in your life. Okay. Let's read the rest of the story. Verses 42 and 43. And he, that is, the criminal who recognized his own sinfulness, said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Verses 42 and 43 show that there was one who acknowledged who Jesus was. He acknowledged who Jesus was was. The text doesn't tell us how this man came to know what little he knew about Jesus. But he not only recognized his own sinfulness, but then he acknowledged who Jesus was. 
who Jesus was. He knows that he is the Messiah because he says, when you come into your kingdom, Jesus, remember me. Remember me. Now, he didn't have it all together, but he had enough (laughs) to get him in. Because Jesus says, what? Verse 43, today. Based on those nine words that he uttered to Jesus, based on those nine words, he said, you're in. You're with me in paradise. Man, that's wonderful. Why do I say that? This story has been a blessing to countless billions of people probably over the centuries. Why? He was never baptized. He never went to church. He was never disciplined. Why did those things not happen? Because he died shortly after verse 43 was uttered. But he acknowledged who Jesus was. He saw his own sinfulness in the light of Christ's sinlessness. And he acknowledged, as much as he knew, he only knew a little bit about Jesus, but he said, remember me. There's two verses in the Bible that this passage illustrates powerfully. The first passage is Romans 10.13. Write that down. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. It's that simple. Just call on the name of the Lord. Just like he did. Did he have it all together? Mm-mm-mm. Obviously not. The second verse. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, that anyone should boast. What happened here? What happened here to this man? How did he get words of assurance that he was in the kingdom? Well, we've talked about one already. He acknowledged, he recognized his own lostness. There was no hope for him. He knew it. He said himself that he was going to suffer the consequences of his evil deeds as he was being killed. He knew that. And he also knew, he also knew that he was under the judgment of God, that he was about to die and he was going to face his God. And there was no hope for him. No hope. He had given up on any hope Within his own self. There was nothing he could do. Then in that condition, what did he do? He transferred his hope from himself to who? To Jesus. And he called on the name of the Lord. In his limited knowledge. In his very limited knowledge of what he knew about Jesus. And he expressed faith. Now faith is not a work. It is just simply a response to the truth of our own lostness and the truth of, the G- of Jesus Christ. And that faith saved him. Jesus confirms that he's in the kingdom. So this first person we run into in our text, he recognizes his own sinfulness, And he acknowledged who Jesus was. 
And he turned from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. He moved powerfully from being lost to being saved. Let's take a look at our next folks in verses 44 through 49. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowd who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all the acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. Verses 44 through 49 show us there were those who were sensitive to the events surrounding them. They were sensitive to the events surrounding him. What events? Well, it says here there was three hours of darkness. The sun was obscured. They heard the words of Christ, and although Luke doesn't give us all the sayings of Christ, they heard what Christ said, and then they saw how he died. And then in verses 47 through 48, we see how they did not turn a blind eye to the events that had just transpired. Now, the point here is not that they were all converted right then, we don't know. Did the centurion move to a place where he became a believer? Eh, we're not sure. The scriptures doesn't tell us. How about the people, the crowd, who went away after they saw what happened? They went home beating their breasts. The point is, they didn't just leave and go home and wonder what was for dinner. It touched their heart, and they went home beating their breasts. Were they all converted? We don't know. Now, verse 49 tells us about the women. We'll speak about them. But they were watching everything that happened. As we go through life, as I said earlier, There are events, there are people, there are booklets and books that we read. And the Spirit, if we're sensitive to what's happening, will use those events, those people, those books to draw near to the Lord, to turn and begin to draw near to him. It could be the very beginning of our journey. Now as I look back over my life. As I was moving towards the Lord. I can see things now in retrospect. That were taking place over two or three years. Where I began 
to turn towards spiritual things. Was I converted at the first? No. But over a period of time, the Lord gently began to turn me towards his dear son, Jesus. Were all saved at that moment? Well, we don't know. But they were very sensitive, very listening very carefully to what the Spirit was saying to them through these events. Let's look at our next character. Verses 50 through 53. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan of an action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, laid him in a tomb, cut into the rock where no one had ever laid. Verses 50 through 53 show us there was one who took a stand against evil. There was one who took a stand against evil. Now the Bible tells us that Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin. But he didn't agree with what they did. There's another passage in one of the other Gospels that tell us that when Jesus was condemned by the Sanhedrin, by the council, that all who were there presently all condemned Jesus. Every one of them. Joseph wasn't there. Joseph didn't partake. So passively he stood against evil and what they were planning on doing because he didn't want to have any part in what they were doing. So he just never attended. The Bible also tells us that he was a disciple of Jesus. This man was a believer. And so he just withdrew. He wouldn't have any part in the evil that they were perpetrating on this innocent man. However, then, he was also active against evil because what did he do? In front of everybody, he got the body of Jesus, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and put it in a brand new grave. He was both passive and active, taking a stand against the evil that was being done that day in Jerusalem. Now, Let me ask you a question. If we who are believers do not take a stand against the evil that's being perpetrated in our society today, who will? Who will? If the Christians don't stand up against evil, who is going to stand up against the evil that's going on in our society? Now, There are some who say that the main ministry of the church is to seek and save the lost. Great commission. They're right. However, they go on to say that we must be very careful not to alienate those who are thinking about becoming Christians by taking a strong stance against the social evils that are taking place in our day, meaning A, abortion, and B, 
the radical homosexual agenda. But the church needs to be doing about the business of saving souls and not pushing those issues. Because the fear would be that if the church takes a strong stand on those issues, then that will scare away those who are particularly thinking about joining the Christian movement. That's what's been told to me. Well, (laughs) I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe that we need to speak the truth. Now, gently, lovingly, (laughs) even as Paul says, speak the truth in love. Some would say, well, well, Pastor Neil, that, that means you're kind of adding conditions to salvation that are not in the Bible. Well, you have to accept Christ and you have to be, you have to be pro-life and for heterosexual monogamous relationships. Now, we're not adding conditions to salvation. We're not adding conditions to salvation. When we present the gospel, we present the truth of the gospel. But I think that believers need to do not what they, you know, you know what they call a bait and switch? You know what a bait and switch is? They get you in to do something, but then they tell you, oh, by the way, you have to do this, this, and this. I don't think we should do that. I think, think we should be open and honest in who we are and what we believe. And if we're ashamed, if we're ashamed that we stand against the social evils of this day, I'd question whether we really are against the social evils of this day. And then I question the validity of that person's faith who's coming to Christ, who's thinking of coming to Christ, if they will allow our stand to keep them away from the love of God and the sure judgment of God that will come upon them if they die without Christ. Joseph, as an expression of his faith in Christ, took his stand against the evil that was being perpetrated that day in Jerusalem. And he took a giant's move as he drew near to Christ. Okay. Verses 54 through 56, our last group of people. It was a preparation day And the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the woman who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned, prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Verses 54 and 56 show us that there were those who went out of their way to honor the Lord. There were those who went out of their way to honor the Lord. Notice these women took time to notice where the body was buried. And then they spent some time buying perfume and spices so that they might honor the Lord and how he was buried. These women were wrapped up in their sorrow, but they didn't allow their pain and their anguish of what had happened to their dear friend to keep them from doing that which would honor the Lord and his death. 
Did they have it all together? Mm, no, not really. Because by the time they got with the spices and the perfume on Sunday morning, they weren't needed. <laughs> Did they have it all together? No. But you have to look at their heart and what they wanted to do. They wanted to honor the Lord with their words and their actions. As believers in our hearts, this is what we should want to do in both what we say and what we do. Now, it would be real easy to review the current political leaders or religious leaders who say that they are Christians, who say that they are Christians, and yet lead a life that does not honor the Lord. We can review a whole bunch of people, amen? But I'm not going to. You already know who I'm talking about. But let me read you a passage, because Paul had the same problem in his day. Paul had a bunch of religious people, political leaders, who said one thing but lived a life of sin. And I want to show you what their actions caused. The passage is... Romans 2, 17. Just listen. You can mark it down in your bulletin. But if you bear the name of Jew, which was the current name of the religious people, and rely on the law and boast in God, know his will, approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth, you therefore who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach the one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Now here's the two verses I wanted to focus in on. You who boast in the word through your breaking of the law, through the breaking of your law, do you dishonor God? And the answer is, yes. Then he goes on, For the name of God is blasphemed among the unbelievers because of your actions. Whoa, Paul. We should go out of our way, in our words and our deeds, to honor the Lord. Now, we're all prone to wander, amen? <laughs> Even as the song, the song says, prone to wander, Lord, prone to do what? Leave the Lord I love. Isn't that true? Even that, what we talked about in First John, says that if we say that we have no sin, we're, we're deceiving ourselves. That's the truth about us. But a lifestyle of sin, listen carefully, a lifestyle of sin is not honoring to Jesus. And it causes the name of the Lord to be blasphemed among those who do not believe and they laugh at us. And they laugh at the Lord who died to save you. Are we lost if we've wandered? No. We need to do what? We need to repent. (laughs) We need to ask the Lord to forgive us. We need to make it right. We need to find forgiveness. 
And even as Jesus said to the lady caught in adultery, what did he say? Neither do I condemn you. Do what? Go and sin no more. There were those who went out of their way that day to make sure that their words and their actions honored the Lord. And as they did, they drew near to the Lord. There was a prominent preacher who was asked how he got into the ministry. How did you get into the ministry, Pastor? And he answered, I just kept saying yes to Jesus. And I woke up and here I was. So true. Now, not all of us are called to the full-time ministry. But all of us are called to say yes to Jesus. How? Recognize that indeed we are sinful. And we need his grace and forgiveness in our lives. We need to acknowledge who Jesus is. We need to be sensitive to when the Spirit is speaking to us through an event, through a person, through a radio broadcast, the word that's spoken to us in a church. We need to take a stand against evil, passively and aggressively. And finally, we have to go out of our way to make sure our words and our actions are honorable to the Lord. James says, draw near to me, says the Lord, and I will draw near to you. How do you do that? Our passage gives us some pretty good ways to draw near. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, as we draw near to the Christmas season, Christmas celebration. Help us indeed draw near to you. Not just here in church, but in every way. In every way. Lord, it seems like uh, our society is going to hell in a handbasket. And it becomes so hard to live a Christian life here. There's those temptations and pulls in so many directions. We pray that we might see our own need for you and the power of the Spirit in our lives to say yes to you continually and no to that which our society has given credence to, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.